Welcome to episode number 278 of CXO Talk. I am Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. I'm so excited because, you know, digital transformation is one of those buzzword terms that we hear a lot about. But today we're speaking with somebody who is working with the senior execs from the largest organizations in the world on these business and digital transformation topics. Before we begin, I want to say a heartfelt thanks to Livestream because they provide our video streaming infrastructure. And if you go to livestream.com slash CXOTalk, they'll give you a discount. And one other heartfelt request, please tell a friend right now to watch and also like us on YouTube and Facebook. And there's a tweet chat that's gonna be taking place right now using the hashtag CXOTalk. So join us there and you can ask questions of our guest, Aaron Levy. He is the chief magician and the CEO of Box. Aaron Levy, how are you? And this is your second time here and thanks for thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for letting me come back and I'm, uh, I'm glad to be lucky number 278. So this is, uh, this is feeling good. So Aaron, uh, tell us about Box. Yeah, so um, I guess just a little bit of a brief kind of uh, background and, and history of the company, and then we'll kind of take you into to, uh, to today. But um, we started Box about 13 years ago. The idea was really simple. We wanted to make it very easy to store, share, and collaborate on information from anywhere, any device, uh, any location, and be able to work with anyone. And, um, and, and we first started focusing on really kind of consumers and small businesses, professional end users. And what happened was end users started bringing the technology into the workplace, so bringing it into enterprises, companies like Procter & Gamble and others uh, were initial adopters. And we, we realized that um, our fate was much more aligned to powering how companies work and share and manage information as opposed to sort of solving all of the consumer side of those problems. We, we decided to let Google and uh, Apple and Facebook and Microsoft and Dropbox kind of take on the, the, the consumer market. So about 11 years ago now, we pivoted to the enterprise and our entire focus became how do we build a modern content management platform that could replace uh, and retire the legacy infrastructure, the network file shares, the storage technology, the document management systems, the DRM tools. What if we could take all of that technology that companies were spending millions or tens of millions of dollars on and globally uh, tens of billions of dollars on, how do we take all that technology, compress it? Uh, into one system, and then customers have a single platform where they can store, manage, and and uh, and share and govern their information from. So that's the the uh, path that we've been on now for for a little over eleven years since we pivoted to the enterprise. Uh, we're now in about over sixty seven percent of the Fortune five hundred. So companies like General Electric or Procter and Gamble or Eli Lilly use Box to be able to do everything from power. How do they share and work and collaborate within their organization? To how do they uh, end up powering business processes and deliver better experiences to their customers when those uh, business processes deal with information and content and documents. And, and that's what we've been up to. So apparently this has worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's always, uh, it probably always looks a little bit easier from the, uh, from the outside, but I'd, I'd say when, once you're inside of here, uh, you, you get a sense that uh, it's, it's, you know, constant chaos and we're, uh, we're always dealing with, with lots of fun up and downs, but um, it's been certainly a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's, uh, we've been able to achieve more than our wildest expectations in terms of the impact that we've had, but 
what, what's uh, I think most exciting and, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about it is um, uh, when we look at what we've accomplished thus far, uh, we see ourselves as being very, very early in the potential of, uh, of what we can do with the cloud, what we can do with, with how do we kind of power the, the future of what work looks like. So we're, we're certainly happy about what we've done, but, but we know that uh, in many respects, we're just getting started. One of the things that I find most interesting about Box is you essentially replaced uh, established on-premise systems and processes with this new type of software. And so when you think about digital transformation and you think about the future of work, and as you said, where this is all going, how do you place it in context and, and, the, and what's the trajectory from your perspective? Yeah, I think the way that we think about it is, and, and, and every couple of years we sort of step back and we say, okay, what is happening in the world and how do we make sure that we're aligning our strategy and our technology to the broader landscape, the, the, the broader set of changes? And, and that was the, the very way that we started the company in the first place. When we started the company in, in 2005, we looked at, okay, we want to work from multiple devices. We want to be able to share with people all around us. Uh, storage technology is getting cheaper and browsers are getting way faster and better. So we could actually use the web as the conduit by which people could access and, and share their information. So those were the sort of big mega trends that we looked at in 2005. When we look at 2018, the mega trends have sort of multiplied pretty significantly in terms of all of the things impacting businesses. So um, companies uh, want to be able to work in a much more real time way. They want to be able to work with much flatter hierarchies so people can share up and down the hierarchy of the organization much more rapidly. Uh, organizations are working with a, a much larger number of partners globally. So they want to be able to um, uh, instantly collaborate no matter where somebody is in the entire world that they're, that they're working with. Um, we know that uh, manual processes are going to give way to um, more AI-driven processes. So how do we use automation, uh, whether that's machine learning or artificial intelligence, to begin to uh, advance the business processes that we're, we're doing as opposed to much, uh, a much more manual approach. Um, we know that product experiences are going to become much more digitized and personalized and much more, um, uh, uh, much more automated for, for customers. So when you look at all those big megatrends, and then you add in cybersecurity threats, you add in compliance issues globally, we see this as sort of shaping what the future of work looks like. And we imagine a, 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 a workplace and an organization where people have access to all of the information they need to do their job. They're able to share and collaborate with anyone they need to be able to connect to, to be able to present their ideas or to be able to accomplish their tasks. We believe that teams are going to be much more agile, so you can make decisions much more quickly. We know that the, the sort of blurring of the inside of an organization and the outside of an organization is happening, so you can share just as easily with an external partner as you can an internal uh, colleague. So we want to build a, a technology platform that supports that future of work. And um, and what we also are, are very cognizant of is that it's not just going to be Box that, that is a part of that future of work. We know that companies are going to use Slack. They're going to use Facebook Workplace. They're going to use Okta. They're going to use Office 365. They're going to use Google Docs. So our job is to find a way to be uh, the, the place where content can go when you want to be able to govern it, secure it, manage it, and collaborate around it. But we know that you're going to use content in lots of different places where you're doing your work. And so that's sort of what we see as the future of work. And our job is to just go out there and evangelize it and make sure that unlike the 90s or the 2000s, the world doesn't end up with just one homogeneous technology stack that, that largely 
uh, is coming from maybe one or two vendors and you're not getting the kind of innovation that we know is possible when you have a plethora of, uh, of amazing solutions. I want to remind everybody, you are watching CXO Talk. We are speaking with... Aaron Levy, who is the CEO of Box, use the hashtag on Twitter, CXO Talk, and you can ask questions right now. So Aaron, so when you talk about the future of work, it's very ecosystem driven. So maybe elaborate on that, please. I, I think uh, any CIO or, or uh, IT leader watching will, uh, will certainly recognize this, but every time you get a, a pitch from a, a technology company that's a platform in particular, you always sort of get that pitch where uh, the company that's talking to you is sort of at the center, and there's all, all these sort of spokes of all the other companies that sort of that, that sort of integrate with that. that yeah, I'm going to slit my wrists over the, that kind of uh, pitch. Yes, exactly. Okay, yeah, got so it. That, that's, that is what everybody is pitched all day long: is we are at the center of the universe, and all data flows into us. And and I don't want to be too hypocritical because because we have that pitch too. So um, so uh, the I'm making fun of us and, and everybody else in in, uh, in the industry, but I think what. What's interesting is, and, and it's mostly just because I don't think we figured out how to sh let's show this graphically, but what's interesting is I don't think anybody is at the center of the future of the IT stack. What's happening is we are all sort of nodes that connect to one another. And so you have to think about it more as a constellation almost, where Box, we want Box to be the place where content goes. Slack is, is, the, is a logical place where channel-based communication goes. Facebook Workplace is a place where if you want more of a social stream or be able to publish or broadcast information where that kind of data would go. Office 365 is obviously where a lot of office productivity, email, et cetera, would go. And so we all are, 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 uh, we are all hubs and spokes to one another. And, uh, and I think the reality of the future of the IT stack is that it's not really a stack in the traditional sort of layered sense. It's much more of a web of interactions and, and interoperability. And so our job is to go and help customers and help and work with partners uh, to be able to deliver that as a reality. I think what's interesting is that um, the industry, the, the cloud and, and SaaS industry has done a really poor job of helping customers think through this architecture. There has not been sort of the reference architecture design for what does the best of breed IT stack look like? Where does Workday fit in? Where does ServiceNow fit in? Where does Salesforce fit in? How do we make all these technologies work together? So as you can tell, I'm a little bit uh, too passionate probably about IT stacks. But, but what we get really excited about is thinking through what does the modern IT environment look like? We think we have, we have thousands and thousands of customers that have that representative set of technologies. We internally at Box use Workday, use Salesforce, Office 365, Google Suite, Okta. So we, we believe we are the best exemplar of what that modern SaaS ecosystem can, can, uh, can really deliver. Uh, and our job is to hopefully kind of drive that reference architecture and make sure that our technology works with the rest of the industry in the process. So what does this imply then for the CIO and for the skills and the talents and capabilities that IT needs. You know, and this has been a ten-year uh, journey. So, so uh, fortunately, a lot of this has already been showing up. But, but we spend a lot of time. I don't know if you've seen this. I'd be curious. We we see we're seeing a new role emerge in a lot of organizations, and it's titled differently uh, depending on the company. But um, it, largely, it's sort of the, the the person who used to be the head of end user computing or head of infrastructure. We're we're starting to see evolve to sort of the head of workplace technology, the head of workforce technology, the head of employee experience technology. And it's, it's this role that's, that's I think, uh, certainly responsible for, but finally thinking through the deep implications of what does a much more collaborative environment look like? 
What does a much more end user productivity oriented environment look like? In many cases, they have a counterpart in HR that they're working with around employee experience. And that is, that's blowing our mind because it's, it's incredibly exciting. Just as we saw that the CMO and the CIO were pairing together three or five or 10 years ago, and that, and that sort of rise to the MarTech uh, stack, we're now seeing a very similar trend happening within cultures where, um, uh, where if you have a, a, a CHRO or head of HR or head of people that is driving cultural change that is, okay, we want to be able to be more agile. We want smaller teams. We want to be able to have up and down communication and, and communication that is very flat fundamentally. That, that only works when you have a technology stack that can deliver on that. And the, the, the funniest thing that I tend to see is, um, is when you have a, a, a CEO of a big corporation or a head of HR of a big corporation and they're pontificating about the, the new way that they're going to be working, the new way they're going to be innovating, the new agility initiative that they're going to be driving. But then you go and ask them, what is actually in your IT stack to deliver that? And it's the same technologies that they've been using for 5, 10, or 20 years. And so we just know instantly that there's going to be a massive disconnect between the, the sort of culture change that they're trying to drive from the technology that's going to enable that culture change. You fundamentally cannot have an open, transparent, fast-moving, agile culture if your technology stack is in on-premises environments, doesn't support real-time work, doesn't let you instantly collaborate with people around you. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. So back to your question. Um, I'm, I'm good at uh, going on long tangents. I apologize. But... Uh, but I think what, what, what the, the, the CIO, what the IT leader needs to be thinking about is just as we saw that movement in MarTech or sales technology, which is all about business performance and driving growth, um, I think there's going to be a sort of, you know, almost sort of this employee experience tech stack that is, is this modern set of tools that drive the kinds of cultures that I think most organizations are trying to deliver. Much more open, much more transparent, much more fast-moving, much more agile cultures. And so being able to deliver on that and knowing that, uh, that, that, that it's about uh, creating a, a pairing between how we're going to work and the technology we're going to use to work and how do those technologies come together and being able to deliver that kind of end user experience that traditionally has been an oversight uh, in, uh, in most IT organizations. You know, I think that uh, there's nobody who would disagree with, with the, this goal of yeah. creating a, a more open, better user experience, better collaboration. But I think inside large organizations, the challenge they have, and you just kind of put your finger on it, is there's a disconnect between the intention yep. and the reality. And so yep. the question then becomes, you, you talk with all these different customers, how can they how can they bridge that gap? How can they move and march towards that goal that you're describing? Yeah, well, well, we, we the, the way that we see the disconnect, and again, I, I mean, I'm one small data point relative to the the you know amount that you really want to to do to build the, the full analysis on this. But but what we tend to see is um, there's a, a, there there will often be a mismatch in, in sort of the speed at which IT is coming to this conclusion or the organization is coming to this conclusion. And so sometimes you'll have the technology team, you'll have a, an early uh, adopter innovator in the IT team say, hey, we're going to go to Slackbox, Quip, these modern technologies. But the, but the CEO or the head of HR hasn't come along for that journey. And so now this is a technology-driven initiative as opposed to a business-driven initiative or organizational-driven initiative. Conversely, I'll meet with plenty of CEOs uh, of very large companies that will say, 
this is our culture. This is how we're going to be changing. This is how we're going digital. This is the future of our business. But unfortunately, I know very well the underlying technology that their CIO is delivering. And I know how much of a, of a disconnect there's going to be between the message that that CEO might be saying and the underlying technology that they're going to have to get there. And so what I mean, unfortunately, it really just comes down to people and, and process uh, at, at some point. And so uh, if you don't have the CEO, HR, technology, ideally the entire executive team in the room saying, what are we trying to drive culturally? What do we think the business outcomes will be when we drive that cultural change? And what is the technology that we need to get there? You don't have the kind of the, the level of alignment or cohesion that you need to really deliver on this. And so then it becomes a bunch of sort of platitudes and and, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, maybe the spirit is there, but, but you're not going to actually get the change uh, that's, uh, that's necessary. Okay, so then let's talk about this cultural dimension. The only, the only thing I wanted to say, because I, I may have presented it as too bleak, um, we have seen that uh, I, would, I would generally say more often than not, there's a significant amount of pent-up demand within the organization, though, for this change. Um, you know, we, we used to think it was sort of demographically driven. So all oh, the millennials want to work in this new way. But I think it's it's sort of in all of us that we want to have a little bit, we want to have more autonomy to make decisions. We want to be able to share and collaborate with people around us. These are pretty innate um, uh, ways of, of, of wanting to work. It's just millennials are the first, um, I think, maybe class of demographic that know that this is actually how it, it should be done uh, and that it's possible to do it this way because because they grew up with technology that, that did not hold them back from being able to share or communicate. And so I think if you, if you sort of went through work not having instant innate access to these kinds of tools and technologies, then it's a little bit of a leap to say, well, how do we, how do we actually enable that way of working? Millennials just literally, they went, when they went to high school, when they went to college, this is how they work. They enter the corporate world and it's like, holy shit, I can't share. I can't communicate. I can't work with the people around me. I know this is wrong. So a lot of the pressure has felt like it's coming from millennials, but this is true of every demographic in the workforce. There's to me anytime that, that I hear of an organization that says, "Oh, well, we have these you know tenured employees that've been around here for 20, 30, 40 years, and they just work differently." It's it's they work differently because the technology they've had to work has not allowed them to work differently. And so uh, I think everybody innately wants to get there. This is why we're fortunate we have a product that that will tend to get adopted pretty rapidly. Um, by all demographics within the organization. And it's just because there's so much pent-up demand to be able to work in, in brand new ways. So you said that the culture, in a sense, follows the, the technology. But at the same time, the technology is an outgrowth in many companies of the culture. culture. Yeah. And so you end up, again, with this kind of non-virtuous cycle and how can organizations interrupt that? Uh, well, I guess maybe I'm taking a little bit differently, but, but uh, I'd love your, your take. I, I see it as actually virtuous. I, I think that there's, um, I, I believe that they're inextricably linked um, uh, uh, sort of almost like swim lanes uh, and you can't have one without the other. And the more that you have the two working in tandem you actually, that's really where you start to see sort of the flow of the organization um, uh, be able to be uh, really at its best. It's when those two, when those two things are really humming. So, so I, I guess I see them as, as more very, as very complementary and highly virtuous because um, when you, when you have a culture that is ready for openness, ready for collaboration, ready for agility, and then you have technology that enables that, 
then the culture leans in even more on that dimension. And then there's new innovations and new technology because that, because you're bringing the, that, that feedback back into the technology. And so we're improving the technology at the same time. So I think these cycles are working really, really well in tandem right now. And, um, and so, so I, I guess I see them as, as highly complementary. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so we have a couple of questions from Twitter on these points related to the culture. So Zachary Jeans asks, and he's a regular listener, so thank you, Zachary Jeans. So you want to make the change, you have that intention, open data and organizational structures sound great. But what about the politics, the internal politics that interfere with these good intentions? Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is where it gets really fun is, uh, you know, if you have a culture that's built on uh, isolating information, um, being able to amass power in the organization because of information and, and being able to, to keep that um, uh, to yourself, um, where transparency might reveal uh, mismatches in, uh, uh, or disparities in, uh, in either execution or performance or other issues, then you will have cultural resistance uh, to, to these technologies. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think like anything, um, uh, you know, organizations will change in, in very different ways. It's, it's important to get fundamentally leadership on board to be able to drive this. You won't get there if you don't, again, have the leadership team that is, uh, that, that is, is bought into these ideals. Uh, what I do know is that maybe it's five years from now, maybe it's 10 years from now, maybe it's 20 years from now. Um, what I know for a fact is that uh, it will be really hard to have a successful organization or culture without these fundamental principles. So it's more of a matter of survival to some extent, and, and partly because partly because the best people will go to the organizations where these are the cultures, and uh, and so it will just be impossible to survive because you'll like the people that are political, the people that that isolate information, the people that can't handle transparency will just be the less successful people and they won't be able to attract the best talent, which will just inevitably eventually mean, even if they're riding on the coattails of their prior culture or their prior era, they won't be able to build successful companies. So, so I think the, the proof will be in just the numbers of, of these, uh, the, of, of the business results of these companies. So um, hopefully uh, you can, you can get your organization there by, by sort of showing the evidence of, of how much better performing these types of cultures are. There's a great book. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, I think the, the principles in this book are awesome. I think there's some, you know, obviously companies will implement them in different ways, but there's a great book um, called Powerful uh, by the uh, former uh, head of HR from Netflix, um, uh, Patty McCord. And and what's what's really cool about this book, and I highly recommend every single uh, CIO and every single IT leader reads this, it's, it's, a, it's a book only about culture and HR, but it, it reads as the other half uh, to a technology book. It reads as the, as the sort of adjacent, uh, set of information to what would your technology stack, what, what, what would your uh, organization look like if you ran a, a technology stack that was uh, of this sort of modern, open, transparent, fast-moving ilk of, of tools? What kind of culture would that kind of, of, of set of technologies uh, be able to result in? And it's faster decision-making, it's more autonomy, it's, it's information should be available to everybody. Um, she, she talks a lot about making sure that everybody in the company has a a high degree of business acumen about the business model. And all of these kinds of things only come when information uh, is disseminated because in organizations, information is power, but it should not be exclusive power. Um, it should be power for everybody to be able to make better decisions, to be able to use better judgment. And I think so many companies have grown up on this idea that we can we, we, we sort of are going to isolate and silo 
data and silo people. And partly it was just because we had no alternative. You, you could not have had an open and transparent company in the mainframe era. So it's, it's no wonder that that's how cultures eventually, you know, got built out. But today that's not the case. So, um, that's, that's why I think, uh, we'll, we'll see this evolve a bit. And of course, Patty McCord also wrote the famous Netflix culture deck that so many companies have copied and emulated. Now, Aaron, what about innovation and the relation of all this to innovation? And I'm also interested about your relationship to the culture inside Box and the, and how you innovate and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think you know the way that we the way that we think about this is um, is making sure that we are building a, a, a culture that is is fast moving. That that you know we have a, a, a few fundamental values um, that, that we live by. One is ten um, uh, xing it. So we want to make sure that people are constantly thinking about all new ways to deliver on product experiences, on business processes, on on you know low end in lo, lo, deep in the stack, stack technology innovations. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the ways that, that you, you derive that and you are able to deliver that is a couple times a year, for instance, we have hackathons where everybody stays up for 24 hours and people come up with ideas that, that wouldn't have normally been on the product roadmap. And, um, there's prizes and hundreds of people participate. And that's often actually the, what contributes to our long-term product roadmap is the ideas that people will come up with and build prototypes for in 24 hours are the things that then we, we make as production ready. Uh, innovations maybe a year later. So uh, we had a technology that we announced a lot last year at BoxWorks called Box Skills. Uh, this technology was basically taking the machine learning and AI technology from Google, Microsoft, IBM, and others, and allowing that to be incorporated into Box for our customers. That came out of a, a hack that took 24 hours to build, maybe about a year and a half ago, and it became a one-year uh, plus project with five or ten people. That is now one of the core technologies of the, the future of our entire company. So what you want to be able to do is, is create environments where people can come up with those ideas. But it only works if you actually go and implement them. It only works if people see that there is a payoff um, in the form of, of actual uh, delivery of what they innovated on. Um, and uh, and so that that's one of the many mechanisms that we have. We, we try and have a culture, again, where... Uh, where people are sharing ideas with one another and we're, we're communicating uh, the, the, the best ideas possible. You know, we're, we're sort of always fighting the, the uh, again, I think the traditions of, of companies, which is you come into the organization, you're 22 years old, you're, you're sort of, you know, you're, you're the most junior person in the entire company, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have the best idea that is going to give us the next billion dollar business model. And so you're always fighting this tendency, which is, that new person coming in and, and saying, well, how do I actually get my idea to, to, to a decision maker? How do I actually filter that up or feed it to the right people? And so, um, you know, the, the best thing I can try and do is, is just make sure to, to, uh, to hammer that home at every turn that, that, uh, if people act like an owner, if, if people, um, uh, really are, are, uh, are communicating with one another, we're candid with one another with our ideas, that's going to be the best way that, that we can create a culture where sustainably we're going to out innovate the, the competition. Now, another, I'm, I'm just like hitting you rapid fire with questions without a, without a break here. Sure, uh, no problem. So let's talk or go back to this IT stack and let's try to connect the dots now between the new IT stack, this culture shift and uh, set of goal, cultural goals that you were just describing and the role of the CIO and what, where CIOs fit into this world. 
Okay. Um, so, uh, well, I, I think that the, I, I think we need to think about how do um, we take this set of technologies, again, whether it's Slack or Facebook Workplace or Box, and how do you marry that with the cultural change that, that organization is, is trying to drive? And, and, you know, often it will, it will come from a few discrete or distinct business initiatives. So um, sometimes that, that might be that, that a company is trying, let's say it's a retail operation and that company is trying to communicate with all of their, their, uh, their, their retail environments. And they want to be able to make sure everybody's aligned with maybe it's new promotions or new policies or, uh, you know, new cultural efforts. Something like Facebook Workplace then all of a sudden becomes the, you know, maybe the tool to go use to, to make sure that, that that company can, can, uh, can disseminate, can disseminate that information. We often get brought in, uh, a lot of times when a company is, Facing the need to do much more um, uh, internal and external collaboration, so maybe your partner ecosystem is changing. Maybe you have new uh, partner relationships that you're trying to drive, and what you want to do is make sure that there's way less um, latency between sharing internally and externally. And so, Box will get brought in to be able to help with that. But I think the CIO has to be highly tuned into what, uh, how is the culture needing to change? What are the business initiatives that relate to that cultural change? I think that, um, uh, the, 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 you know, often what gets missed because, uh, you know, people, when you go and look at like Silicon Valley, for instance, and you, you say, Oh, you know, we want to be like Google. It's important to think about which, which parts of Google are you trying to be like? Well, it's not the ping pong tables that make Google Google. It's not the volleyball. It's not the high-end chefs that, that make Google Google. I mean, those are, those are amenities because they have this amazing business model. Um, but, but the things that, that at least once made Google Google were 20% time, letting people go out and, and spend extra time building innovations that would not have normally come from the, the standard product roadmap. A high degree of of autonomy, where if you had a great idea, you could go and and, and present it to somebody. Um, a, a massive degree of information sharing. So Google is notorious about being quite public internally with how the business is doing, how they can do better. They have weekly um, Q and A sessions with the founders. So those are the things that made Google Google. The volleyball is is sort of a, 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 a superficial facade on top of all of that, and I think we we sometimes miss that. And the only reason that that you would want to wear sneakers or jeans to work or have open environments is, is merely because when you create a more casual environment, uh, it lets people's guard down so they can be more creative and they can share ideas with one another better. It's not that the jeans are the thing producing the innovation. So we have to think about the system uh, that, that all of these components tie into. And so, you know, you'll see, you'll see the CEO who thinks that they're getting really cool because they're, they're now being more informal, but, it's not that interesting because the it, it, the system itself is not using that informality to drive more creativity. Then then you didn't really accomplish anything from from learning that lesson. So I think what we have to do is is really think about what 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 is about our business are we trying to change? Why are we trying to change it? And then look to what are the underlying root sort of system level uh, uh, things that drive that change that we're trying to accomplish. Maybe it's getting closer to our customer. Maybe it's being able to hire a new type of talent in the organization. Maybe it's, um, we, we think that we are getting really slow at breakthrough innovations. So we want people to be more creative. Um, and maybe some organizations don't have to change at all in, in this dimension because 
that's just not a challenge and, and they just want to get better logistics. So I think it's really important to understand what, what it, where's innovation and where's this culture of innovation um, uh, relate to your business model and how do you design a work environment? How do you design a way of working that will facilitate whatever that business outcome is that you're trying to drive? Interestingly enough, you just gave about the most succinct and clearest uh, definition or exposition of digital transformation that I've heard in a long time, but you never used the term digital transformation. Is there a reason for that? No, uh, I just, I, I felt like it was a long enough uh, explanation without that. So <laughs> I didn't want to add more words. I mean, I think that the, you know, it's, it's, it's funny um, uh, that you, you uh, now you're going to create another tangent. Um, it, it, it's funny that, that you bring digital transformation into this because I, I think everything that, that I, I did just discuss is obviously what, what I think people are, are trying to do when they talk about digital transformation. I think the challenge is digital transformation often sort of leads people to going straight to, okay, I need this modern mobile app. I need sort of Uber or Airbnb for my business. And, and that is often the necessary result of digital transformation. But the way of getting there is not that you just build an, an app or you, or you create an Airbnb for your business. It's actually thinking through what, what is it about digital companies that allows digital innovation to occur so effectively. And, and it, it, it tends to be the case that a digital company, uh, and in this case, I'm just going to just maybe think of the Airbnbs of the world or the Spotify's of the world, a digital company is run usually, this is, this is obviously stereotyping to some degree, it's, it's usually run in a flatter way with more knowledge sharing, with faster moving sort of smaller units that, that are able to work in, on, in their own sort of specific domain. And, um, and that is usually the thing that enables a digital company to be successful because oftentimes it, it comes from, uh, in many senses, the, the, the way that we build software, which is small teams building projects. And that kind of ripples through the culture um, where, where you have, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost hard to sort of separate the, the GitHub mentality of software development, which is like everything is out, out there, right there. I can see every single change that ever happened from the kind of culture that an org that a software organization would expect, which is I want to see everything. I want to have access to all of the information so I can make the best decision or I can go look through the history of how we got to that decision. So, so these cultures are kind of inseparable. The software culture, the, the digital development culture from the, how the rest of the company has to operate, the speed at which we have to operate. And that is, I think, why you can't accomplish digital transformation without tying into how's the workplace going to function? What, how's the business model going to change? How are underlying business processes going to relate to that transformation? So that's why we, we, uh, we, we spent a lot of time thinking through those components. We only have about 10 minutes left, but we, ha we have to talk about AI. And so let's... So, so just as a transition point, how should CIOs think about investment uh, in new technology versus existing technology? It's really interesting because I, I would say three years ago, you didn't really have to think through um, the data question as much uh, around, around uh, your, your architecture. And, and I think that's what's sort of fundamental to AI is... Uh, now you really have to understand what is the what data uh, uh, are you are you thinking or do you think is going to be really important to driving your business uh, uh, in, in the future? Because 
that data will probably be improved by machine learning or uh, depending on the, the, the type of data, some form of artificial intelligence. And if you have an architecture design that doesn't let you apply machine learning to that data, or you're not using vendors that are very, very focused on making sure that you can do uh, apply machine learning or AI to that data, then, then you, what you're doing is you're making decisions today that will be severe technology debt in five years, five years from now or 10 years from now. And so really understanding the architecture of how can you work with that information? How do you work with that underlying data and making sure it's set up in such a way that eventually AI will be able to be applied to it. And that'll be different for different companies. If you're an industrial company, then you're probably wanting to think about how is IoT data going to be able to be, be used against machine learning so I can improve my customer's um, you know, maybe health checking of their of their uh, infrastructure. Um, and so so that is going to have a particular set of decisions that you're going to want to make about your architecture. Um, if you're in the retail business, then you want to be really thoughtful about, okay, where is all this commerce data going? Where, where is data about my customers going? And you might want to make sure that it's not going into a place that is going to become a black hole for you to be able to work against. So, so I think being able to think through where in my business is machine learning or AI going to have some of the most impact and make sure that you have an IT architecture that doesn't preclude you from being able to apply AI or machine learning to whatever form of data or whatever business process is going to be most um, relevant to, to this, this kind of automation. So that's the first thing is making sure that, that you're, you're designing a future-proof architecture. And I think the uh, I'll just make. I mean, I don't. I don't hear this a lot, but I'll, maybe we'll maybe we'll kind of put it into the, the zeitgeist more. But like, I don't hear the word future proof enough, and um, and and I think that a lot of the ways that that we design, uh, for instance, RFPs, uh, the way that we do IT decisions is very very um, rear view mirror oriented. It is what did this techno? What is this technology delivered thus far? And that is sort of what the RFP usually delivers. And I think instead we need a, an RFP design that uh, and a mindset that is much more about uh, what will this technology deliver in the future and not in the next six months or 12 months, not, not like the near-term roadmap that you can see. Fundamentally, what will this technology be able to do in five years or 10 years? And for that, it's, you're not looking at the code that, or the features that have currently been developed. You're looking for the principles of the company that you're working with. You're looking at their where they sit in the value chain of the ecosystem. Are they going to be a vendor that is a neutral platform, or are they going to build out all of the technology themselves? How do they value openness versus closed systems? You want to understand the philosophy of the organizations that you're working with just as much as you want to understand the current technology that they've written. So I don't I don't hear this enough from from IT organizations, and I think it's it's I think it's a big miss. Because I see a lot of IT organizations that will make short-term decisions that almost immediately become debt that they're now baking into their IT architecture because they've gone with a vendor that maybe today could meet today's RFP, but but where the trajectory of, of that innovation is going to naturally asymptote because fundamentally the either the values of that organization or the architecture that that technology is built on has a has an obvious asymptote. So what, one example I, I'll just give you um, to, to kind of make this uh, as, as real as possible. We um, 
three, four, five years ago, would see a lot of customers say, you know, I really, uh, I really want to be able to share and collaborate on files, but I have to, I have to sort of leverage my existing storage technology because I've already made an investment there. And so I'm only going to implement software that works with my existing storage technology. And what we would tell customers is, if you do that, you, you have to recognize that you're going, you're basically the software that you're implementing is sort of frozen at, at today's innovation. And, and this is a, a period of time right now in particular where there's constant change in the cloud. There's security change, there's compliance change, there's privacy change, there's machine learning change. So you, you might be thinking you're getting a good value because you're going to leverage your, your existing storage technology. But in fact, you're, you're basically freezing the amount of innovation you're going to get at the moment you make this decision versus going with a platform where every week there's new innovation. Obviously, I'm referring right. to us, but, but this, this could be true of any kind of category of technology. So being able to really think through what, where are the curves actually going and where, where do we see the innovation curve actually, uh, actually heading? I would say one, one final thing on this. Unfortunately, I'm going to probably, my analyst relations person is going to beat me up after this. But um, I think, unfortunately, analysts um, need to also be thinking through how can we uh, improve our, our frameworks to think about forward trajectory as much as being a snapshot. And, and I don't think that, that we see this enough in, in the waves or the magic quadrants is, is helping customers understand that technology is not static. So this idea of having a dot on a static sort of uh, thing is actually sometimes um, in a fast-moving environment really, really unhelpful for making technology decisions. I would, I would argue that we need something more like either a, a quadrant for sort of the principles or values or philosophies of an organization. So you can see this organization is, is high on the openness and, and sort of fast change dimension. This one is on the closed static dimension. So I can understand if I'm making a decision based on some particular kind of architecture design, what company is going to deliver against those values more. That's one thing. Uh, or some kind of quadrant or or wave where you can actually see the the trajectory of of that vendor. So they they their their momentum is 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 very obvious. So I can see that that this one company actually in the past two years has moved that far, and this other company has moved that far. So I should be making a momentum based decision as opposed to who has the most technology because the the vendor that went that far maybe they're actually they have a hundred times more features than the vendor that went that far. And so in our traditional way of thinking about it, the vendor that has the 100 times more feature is the obvious winner. But I want to bet on momentum. I want to bet on the trajectory that a company and an innovation curve is on because I have to make future decisions right now. And that is, the, that is something that's not exactly in the mindset of, of a lot of IT organizations, unfortunately, research firms as well. And I'd like to change that if we can. Yeah, the, uh, the other problem with analysts is they are very siloed. And so you get a very narrow kind of thinking that doesn't always, or even often, consider the interplay across these different dimensions you were just describing. You know, by, by the way, uh, just to be fully clear, I mean, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that, that you know, making sense of our complex, uh, you know, vendor universe is not a trivial task and we don't make it easy on anybody. So, so I don't know that there's a better way um, other than if we, could, if we could try and incorporate a little bit more sense of velocity. And, and I think and, 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 and velocity and sort of future proofness of IT decisions, I think, is it would be really, really helpful to incorporate into 
uh, into how we think about technology. But but you know, I, I'm not suggesting that I've got the 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 magic uh, the magic bullet on this one. Uh, I know we're we're pretty much out of time. Do you do do you have uh, a minute for one more question? Yeah, sure. So coming back to AI, let's try to link up now AI and the future of work. And there are so many ethical questions. And maybe can you try to weave that story together as as you see it? I'll at least share our premise first, and then we'll, we can add the ethics. And uh, our premise is that um, right now, a tremendous amount of time in work, and I'm going to just focus on knowledge work just just for now, because because uh, otherwise it's it's too amorphous and broad. Um, knowledge. There's so much time that's spent in knowledge work today that that um, is really uh, very rote tasks that um, humans do very poorly and. Um, and by poorly, I mean inefficiently, um, where there's just a lot of sort of stumbling of interactions where, you know, we're having to, to, to sort of look at something and, and make a very quick decision, but, but it's actually a factual decision that we're making. So it really shouldn't require any, any sort of mental bandwidth, but we're having to use it up. So, um, and I don't know the, the ratios, maybe it's one hour a day per person, maybe it's four hours a day per person, but this is like calendaring, calendaring. This is aligning people on the right information. This is searching for data. This is finding facts about the business. So we spend a significant amount of time at work uh, on on things where it, if you just if you didn't think about how you would accomplish it for one second, um, we know for a fact computers can do. So uh, a computer could instantly get me and a colleague into a room at the at the right time and the next available time. We know a computer can do that. A computer could tell me if I asked it. What was our revenue in Q3 of last year? A computer can do that. We know, we know that, that a computer can do that. It can connect to Salesforce. It can have voice recognition. So the question is, what if we got back all of this time from scheduling and messaging and asking for questions and getting data? And what if we could put that time into, into, uh, in, into being able to do either more fulfilling work or just the work that, that we are better more and, and more capable of doing than a computer. And so that's going to be creative tasks. That's going to be working with customers. I mean, the, the, if I just look at one function in our business, just random function, our customer success team as just one random team, one, one random team, customer success team, their only job in life is make the customer wildly successful with box. But if you looked at how many hours a day they are not in front of the customer, but instead they're in systems, pulling data, doing messaging, trying to run reports, all of that time is time that they're not with a customer. So if we could automate all of that, it's not as if we've automated the customer success function away. We have automated the technology and data parts of that job so we can actually go and spend more time with customers. And so I think when you look at the vast majority of, at a minimum, knowledge work, the very few jobs in the, in the discrete job sense are going to go away. Many tasks will go away. Many tasks will change or disappear, but the, the ultimate value of the job doesn't change. And in fact, it will often, more often than not, lead to that job being able to be performed much better. So I think that we are nowhere close to the sort of jobless future that, that I think is, um, is sometimes pontificated about. Even when you come up with the glaring examples like, okay, there's the uh, executive admin that now can be automated. Um, and uh, and what will that mean? Well, in fact, what it probably will mean is is that a large portion of people that previously could never have 
uh, have had an executive admin now can now can have some kind of AI and human uh, sort of facilitated assistant that will actually make the market for admins much larger. So there is a there there are a lot of these things where where I think um, the markets for for different uh, uh, the the size of the market for many job functions will actually increase because they will now be more efficient to be able to deliver to a much larger portion of people. So. You know, I think we have to be very thoughtful of the ethics. I, I, I am not a um, kind of crazy libertarian around, you know, let's just like wait to see what happens. Innovation is king. We need to be highly thoughtful about it. But let's not go super pessimistic to the point that we actually don't use these technologies to make all of our lives better, both on the employer, uh, on the employee side as well as the consumer side. And I think we are at, at the, at the, in the largest sense. The highest level, not not sort of getting into specifics. At the, at the largest uh, sense, we are only at the beginning of the of the benefits and the improvements of of machine learning or AI. We're nowhere close to some of the the consequences of it, and um, that does not mean we need to be thoughtful. But there's nobody that, in their world that could argue that our customer success uh, rep should be spending more time in tools and data than with the customer. And so let's go and automate the things that are just the drudgery of our daily lives at work and make it so we can actually do better work. So that's what we're really excited about. Okay, very sage advice. Well, this has been a very fast 45, 50 minutes, and I'd like to thank Aaron Levy, who is the Chief Magician and CEO of Box. Aaron, thank you so much for taking time. Thank you so much. Take care. Everybody, thank you for watching, and uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube. We will be back next week with the Chief Digital Officer of Unica Insurance. And he's also a board member of that company. It's a, a huge insurance company in Europe. So thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye.